0: It's not enough to tell our kids that pornography is wrong. Our kids know this. In fact, they've heard it so many times that it can often be confusing for them when they have healthy sexual feelings and attractions that they feel like something's wrong with them. Dr. Dean Busby, along with his three co-authors who are from the BYU School of Family Life, wrote a book called The Better Way to Teach Kids About Sex, and they say that when we overfocus on pornography as the problem, while ignoring the healthy and normal aspects of sexual development and attraction, it actually creates more problems for our children. In their new book, they talk about better ways to talk with our children and young people about pornography, better ways that take the focus off scaring them away from it, and instead, helping them really understand the impact it's having on them, their emotions, their bodies, their spirits, and their relationships. Let's jump right into my interview with Dr. Dean Busby. Well, welcome back to the Illuminate podcast, uh, Dr. Busby. Thank you for taking some time to talk about how to talk to kids about sex. Nice
1: to be with you again.
0: Last time, if you haven't listened to the last episode, listeners, if you, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to our discussion about uh, the book that he co-authored with three other professors at uh, BYU, A Better Way to Teach Kids About Sex. And we really covered a lot of ground primarily about this, this idea of sexual wholeness and how to teach children uh, about sex from a much more expansive perspective instead of just about what not to do. And in the book, they they go through how to how to walk you through that. And the part I want to focus on in, in today's episode is at the end, He uh, the, the co-authors all have this, this great section, section three, called Helping Your Child Understand Specific Sexual issues, and each one of these has its own chapter, and they identify uh, these specific areas of self-touching and masturbation. That's one. Pornography, same-sex attraction, pairing off and dating, and then engagement and honeymoon as uh, as areas that need more attention. And I don't really know where what area we'll spend the most time on today. This this podcast in particular focuses on. The issues of pornography per se, and I, I definitely have a lot of questions about um, about that for you and how you guys suggest talking about that. So, if it's okay, let's start there, and then we'll we'll if we have time, we'll talk about some of these other areas. Okay. In the book, you talk about, and, and this is in uh, Dr. Carroll's research. I think you guys were all involved in that, the Generation X research. Yes. And and in that, you talk about how this generation definitely has gotten the message that pornography is a problem. And, and, and certainly within the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I, I, I think if you survey all the, you know, virtually all the youth, they would say, like, yeah, we get it. It's a problem, right? Right. But you guys are concerned about how we've been talking about it to them, that that's actually kind of the next concern, right? Yes. Can you, can you talk about that?
1: I think the, the, uh, if, if you just ask, and I, I do this every year when I teach large courses uh, on sexuality at Brigham Young, I, I ask them, what have you heard in the last year from either parents or ecclesiastical leaders about sexuality? The only thing I can consistently count on is an anti-pornography talk. Okay. And so they've all had one and they've all had more and they roll their eyes. Um, you know, that's all they hear about sexuality. And so, um, we of course are really concerned about the, the pornographic, uh, world that we live in and we want to avoid this and we want to, want to help people avoid this. But, so the first thing is before you have a conversation about porn, if possible, um, you have to lay this groundwork for talking about sexuality in a more holistic way and in a comfortable way. And then a discussion about pornography will not be as, as loaded and, um, difficult. And it will be, it will be more helpful for the child to talk about. Um, then if, if the only thing you're talking about in regard to sexuality is pornography, um, so so that's the first principle. Well, can I, it, can I interrupt is, you real
0: quick? Like, what, what happens then if you just isolate that as the, the, the issue then and you don't put it in the bigger context? What have you found happens?
1: Well, what, what happens is they literally think about sex as porn. Mm. The, the, and so then all of these messages that we send about porn, how awful it is, how degrading it is, how whatever it is, how destructive it is, Whatever we say about pornography begins to be translated as that, that is sex. Sex is that, hmm. um, and of course we don't think about pornography as really being sex. It's it's a counterfeit. It's it's a fake. Uh, but if that's all they're hearing, then then of course though it's impossible for them not to associate all of those meanings around pornography with with sex. If that's all you're talking about, and so. That's that's. uh, And so I I literally ask parents and bishops because they always it's interesting when you talk to them. The first things I want to want you to tell them is how to keep my child from having a problem with porn or masturbation and or masturbation. Those are the questions they always come up with first. Hmm. And so um, if that's where they start their conversations and their purpose about talking about sexuality, it's the wrong way to go about it. You, you don't talk about how to get to heaven by how to, you know, what's wrong with hell. You, you know, you don't, you don't focus on all of the bad things in hell and, and what can get you there and everything as the way to engender hope and, and, um, and beauty for heaven, you know, and desires to get to heaven. That's just not the way you approach anything in life. And it can't be the way we approach this. So, so that's the first thing I say. If you haven't had conversations consistently about sexuality, um, and with your child start there and you'll get, and you'll have plenty of time and space to get to the pornography masturbation conversations. And so now that's not, that's the ideal. Now it's not always possible because sometimes you discover that there's, that, that your child is having problems with these issues and there it is right in front yeah. of your face. Right. And so you have to have those conversations sort of prematurely, but But then you can, of course, start adding a bunch of other conversations about healthy sexuality. So so then the other thing is, I think the other central problem we have around the, the issues of pornography and masturbation is we have them so wound up about these things, so worried, so anxious, that they have created a problem that may be worse than the problems of pornography and masturbation. I don't know about that, but... But in other words, so here's here's how we know this. Every year I ask this question in, in my class. If you were getting married to somebody and they've had, like all of us, some challenges with sexuality in their past, and maybe some of them were serious enough and they had to had to deal with some of these and work through repentance with their bishop. And so you had your partners had this and it's all taken care of. All all repented of and everything. But the, you, have, you, you can choose a partner who either had a problem with pornography and, again, fully repented, no problem with it anymore, or they had a problem with, uh, with uh, premarital sex, or so they had a sexual relationship with somebody. Which one would you choose? Repeatedly, the choice that they want to make is the person who had the problem with fornication. And so then you ask yourself, how is, what, How is this happened? So, they would prefer to have a partner who has previously had a, a, a sexual relationship with somebody versus somebody who's had a problem with pretend sex, pseudo sex, on the screen. Um, and then, so then you ask them, why is that? Why, why would you prefer that? What they say is they see pornography as something that is a lifelong addiction that can't be overcome. So even though maybe they've stopped, they don't trust it. They're nervous about it. It makes them more worried. So you you see that you see the challenge here that we're creating. Oh yeah, um, it's it's that. Yeah. and and again, they're both serious problems. Both things need to be dealt with. But uh, in my mind, crossing the boundary to where you're having sex with a living person and all the problems that are associated with that outside of marriage is a much more significant issue than. Than a pornography issue, Um, but it's turned it sets upside down, and so then we have to unravel this with them and say, okay, let's talk about pornography, and let's try to um, introduce a a tone to this that it's more about healing and change and growth and understanding, rather than this catastrophe of a you know once you've seen porn and you've you've seen it more than a few times, you're a lifelong doomed addict. And it's, it's always going to be your, your, your demise. So that's, how, that's one of the first things we have to try to undo is this idea. And now, of course, there are people who are addicted to, um, to, to pornography. I mean, the, in the scientific literature, the idea of a behavioral addiction is still controversial. But sure. in, in terms of what we think of as an addiction, something they can't seem to keep from doing and they get wrapped up in it. But the rates of those who seem to be obsessed with this are the same as other addictions, which are very small, usually in the 5% range. So 95% of the people that view or have viewed pornography are not addicts. And, but we, what we don't see it that way. We don't see it as, you know, 95% of the people that lie are not, uh, you know, addicted to lying. They're not compulsive liars. Um, and, and so we learn how to be more truthful. We'd learn how to catch ourselves. we learn how to deal with that, but it's not so loaded and that, that we can't, you know, one lie is the end of the world kind of thing. Um, we don't, if we think about it that way, it's going to be pretty hard to cope with lying. And so pornography has to be put in its proper place as a serious problem that can be overcome. And, but it isn't a catastrophe. It is, it is something that that we can work with.
0: Um, yeah, and it's such a tricky thing. I think for parents, leaders, even therapists and others who are trying to help, to put it in its proper perspective without you know minimizing it, right? Without right. without uh, creating alarm, especially in a betrayed spouse. I think it's easier with with adolescents or children. I, I think that we definitely can do a lot better with our children and, and young people and not catastrophize it <laughs> as, yeah. as the end of the world, especially when, they, when they're just first get, you know, looking at it or being introduced to it uh, versus somebody who might have a more long standing compulsion over decades. I mean, that's a very different discussion.
1: And one of the things I say early on in the conversation with an individual or groups about this topic is, uh, you know, you're supposed to be attracted to this material. That's why it's it's designed that way.
0: Right. You're not in other words, yeah.
1: It's natural for you to be attracted to beautiful naked people. That's just natural. And so you're drawn toward it. It doesn't mean you're a pervert. Right. And if if and so then you settle that down a little bit. Oh, okay, I, I, that's true. I am attracted to beautiful people. And my eyes and my thoughts go in that direction when I am exposed to a person. It doesn't have to be unclosed and Mm -hmm. so that's let's talk about how you start to manage those feelings what they draw you towards and then let's put it in this context of what should they draw you towards and how do we direct this towards a a future marriage or a current relationship in a more healthy way and so so that's you know that's i and just this idea that now i don't Everybody in the room doesn't have to move away from the person who admits they have a porn problem
0: because they're <laughs> right. a pervert. Right. Um, yeah, we really need to turn off the fire alarm and settle everybody down so that we can have a productive conversation in a bigger context of what's happening here. Yeah. No, that's really, that's so important. And so the the how we're talking about it as a problem, you you basically would say in summary that, that we're, we're way too alarmist about it. And... Sure and it really does exaggerate the danger level here and it prevents us from having a real conversation because people shrink in shame, stay in hiding and secrecy and th- they don't really offer any helpful solutions. It just becomes this more of a more of a scarlet letter.
1: Yeah. So I had an experience with a group of young men once. I think that illustrates the way I I wish I could have done it all the time. And I, I you know, I fail at this much as anybody. Yeah. But So I, I was their young men leader. There's probably 12, or 14 of them. And we'd gone to one of these water parks. I don't remember the specific water park. And, you know, I just sort of watched the young men and, and listened to them talk. And and uh, and so, um, you know, of course, at any water park today, there's a lot of people that are wearing very little um, clothing. And so the next day, I taught him in in the priesthood lesson, and I said, "Hey, so I noticed yesterday at the water park that a lot of you guys were tracking the beautiful women that you noticed," and immediately all their heads go down, like <laughs>
0: shame, you know, shame. <laughs> oh,
1: shame! And you know, they're just looking at the floor. Oh no, this is going to be another one of those. Like we're in
0: trouble. Yeah.
1: Yeah, another one of those. <laughs> I'm in trouble. He caught me, you know. And I said, <laughs> and so then the next thing out of my mouth is, "Isn't it wonderful that you're attracted to beautiful women?" And they just, every single head came up and me, what? What? You know, they, they didn't believe they heard something positive. Isn't it wonderful? You're attracted to beautiful women. And isn't that 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 you're becoming man and you're experiencing these feelings and those are strong feelings, aren't they? And they started nodding their heads. Yeah, they're really strong. (laughs) And and isn't it challenging to figure out what to do with those feelings? Oh, yeah. And then and then they just burst out into, oh, oh, yeah. And I hate it when I go to a grocery store and I see this this thing on a magazine and it's sitting right there and I can't keep my eyes. And they just started openly describing the challenge they were having as young men with controlling their thoughts, interactions, when they saw something or someone or a picture of of somebody that that aroused sexual feelings in them, and that you know it was probably the best example in my life of where I finally got the tone right, yeah, and they and they freely just started sharing their struggles and and then some of them started sharing what they did. oh, when I see one of those, this is what I do and oh you know i just wish they wouldn't put that stuff there and well, i didn't have to lecture i didn't have to tell them you know what was wrong about the way they stared at somebody and it you know, was it wrong and all that they just we just had this great conversation and then at the end of it the thing that made me feel like i finally got this with this group was they said we need to have more of these conversations this was really <laughs> helpful, you know so that that was that's the ideal Yeah, Um, that's the ideal, but sometimes you're going to, it's not going to feel that way. It's not going to turn out
0: that way. Um, Yeah. But that basic permission of celebrating what exactly is working right in their bodies. And it may not have been, you know, the right time or place in terms of being able to act on it, of course, but, but everything was working like it should. And that's something that, that you want to get that permission out of the way so that then you can have a conversation of what to do with it now. Right. Yeah. I love that. And and you're saying you're saying with pornography when we're talking to your, to our children to young people about this our tone has to be giving them that permission right that permission to say you're a sexual being you're going to feel these things and the pornography is just really you know an attempt to hijack that and put it somewhere that's not going to serve you or other people very well but but everything that's, else is working the way it should That's correct
1: and th- and then you and then if if that tone is there what they will do is they is Instead of you saying, well, here are the reasons pornography is so bad, uh-huh. what they will say, it, you could just ask them some questions. So what do you think is, you know, if you're naturally attracted to these, these depictions, if you're drawn to, you know, what do you think is the problem with just looking at this stuff is whenever you want to? What is, what is it about that? And then they'll freely kind of say things like, "Well, you know, it's it, you don't know the person, and it's fake," and you know they'll bring up all the stuff it's degrading, and you know it, it make you lose this. This is how I feel when I see it. You know, they'll bring all that stuff up on their own, and de- and develop personal awareness of what goes on internally when they're exposed right. to yeah. these images, rather than you're laying down this. You know, you lose the spirit, and once you lose the spirit, then then you, you, you know, there's no, you just going to make worse decisions and accept, you know, just let, they, they'll, they'll tell you.
0: And you, in, in the book, you do outline for parents. I'm going to just turn to it here. It's page 138. You do, you do outline for parents, you know, three, three main ways that pornography does actually harm their children. So if, so if, as you're talking with your kids about this or young people, and, and you've already set this, this stage and given them this permission and, and validated them as sexual beings and all those things we've been talking about. We can still guide the conversation and teach them these different ways. And you've identified three ways, um, unrealistic expectations, keeping secrets, and then a distorted attraction template. Can you speak about that and and give some parents some guidance on that?
1: Yeah, um, I think uh, if they don't bring up on their own sort of any of those, Uh I think it's it's really sort of useful to have them as like a checkbox in your head. Yeah. But I want to I at least at some level help them understand the challenges that. So, you know, unrealistic expectations in some way. It, unfortunately, most children now are turning to pornography to learn about sex. And I can't imagine a worse place to learn about he- healthy sexuality than porn. Um, you know, there isn't anything right about the experience um, that would would help them understand realistically what sexual, nobody looks like those people
0: for one. Yeah.
1: And nobody performs like those people. And so, um, it's just nothing about it is close to reality to be a good template for them. And so, mm-hmm. um, they might have, an, so that you can just kind of run through the different kinds of expectations that might, might develop by watching porn that I need to, that, that, um, the person I'm in a relationship needs to look like this person. They need to act like this person. This is what they like to do or don't like to do. Nothing about it is real. And and uh, and then you and so then you can sort of map that stuff out and talk about what what is real. You know, that everybody has has strengths and weaknesses and preferences sexually are not. Um, are unique to every relationship that you learn in a loving relationship. Um, And it's based upon gentleness and um, giving and loving. It's not based upon, you know, the things that are depicted in porn often are violent and degrading and um, devoid of any relational connection, et cetera. You know, you can, you can just kind of map that out and they'll, I think that will help them. Then let's see, what were the, the other two? Um, Keeping secrets. Yeah. And um, that, one, that one is um, hopefully it, the best way that you've been able to help develop that principle is through consistent conversations about sexuality. And they feel that sense of relief when they talk to you about something they're struggling with, mm-hmm. so whether you think of it as a sin or not. And so then they then they so then you can refer to those experiences. You say, remember when you talked talk to me about that time, where you saw that image and you didn't and, and you had a hard time not looking at it, and then you felt those feelings and all, and how did you feel after we had that conversation? And then they'll they'll all, all almost always use phrases like, oh, it was just really nice. I felt relief. It was comfortable. I I felt better about myself. And then so what you want to do is contrast an open perspective from a secret perspective. And how did that, how was that different than when you were holding it all in and you felt bad about it, but you didn't have anybody to talk to. And so as you contrast those two, you know, ways of feeling and experiencing, um, the, these topics, then they'll, they'll sort of get it. Oh yeah, I see that really was a lot better. And so one of the things that you want to develop in your life around sexuality is that you're open and and, and there's not secrets between you and your spouse and you and the Lord. And obviously the Lord knows what you're doing, but um, but being able to talk to, to your spouse and being able to to talk uh, to Heavenly Father or uh, an ecclesiastical leader is needed is really helpful for you. Um, and so in, instead of, you know, sort of pressuring to not keep secrets, you sort of help them feel that, the joy of a life without secrets. So it becomes a goal rather than a mandate.
0: Um, yeah, that's beautiful. And you know in my, my 20 years of working with couples as a marriage and family therapist, I, I know for a fact that the most damaging thing in these relationships in the betrayals is actually the secrecy and the deception over over the behavior. Yes, um, as painful as the behaviors are and 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 you know th- those can always be worked through. When there's openness and trust. And when you, when you take that out of the equation, when you, when you just introduce secrecy and hiding boy, that is so traumatic and devastating to a attachment bond. And we yeah. can, we can teach our kids to practice living in openness, living a secret free, free life with us like we talked about last episode uh, as a dress rehearsal for their marriage where they can speak openly and not be ashamed and talk about their fears and their their maybe strange attractions or things that they just are nervous and can you know scared about but they can do it in the safety of a of a loving bond
1: yeah and and helping them Understand that when they feel mm-hmm. like moving towards something, they're going to have to keep hidden from anybody. Yeah, it's just huge warning sign. Yeah, um, and you know that's this earliest. It's probably one of the earliest triggers for people to know. Okay, whoo, I better better stop myself mm-hmm. here. This is pulling me in. That is, you begin to want to turn the screen away, or you begin to want to go into another room, or whatever it is that. That, they, that they're starting to feel about hiding is this immediate alarm bell that can go off inside of them that says, okay. Um,
0: yeah, and that, that uh, internally, you talk about this in the chapter, the, the internal monitoring system that we, we expect children as they get older to develop. You know, We, we do a lot of external monitoring with filters and boundaries and, and so on with devices and, and computers. But as kids develop and get older, we want them to develop these internal filters, these these internal monitoring. And that's what you're really talking about is to to pick up on when something starts to feel uncomfortable or dark or secretive, that that, that becomes a, a signal for them to talk about it and open up, put it in the light. And they can practice these things in their families with their parents. This is exactly where you learn how to develop that.
1: And And when it works, mm-hmm. you will get – sometimes you get more disclosures than you need, but it's just a beautiful thing. Like they'll come up yeah. to you and say, oh, I read this book in class and I, this made me feel bad. And yeah. I didn't like the way I felt. And, and, you know, after a while you're saying, you know, well, you don't really need to tell me that sort of thing, but I'm really grateful yeah. that, that you feel comfortable doing that. Right. Um, and, but, but that's, that's what happened now. You uh, always, when, you, when you're talking about sexuality, you have to bring in this important principle uh, personality styles of children because it, it, you know, that's your goal is to have this place where the child is just openly sharing with you. And it, but you're just going to have, I, I think it's almost half of the kids we have are going to be naturally shy and um, yeah, yeah. And reluctant to talk about this. And so you, for some kids, you just have to, to, to always go through that sort of awkwardness and they're, they're not going to freely come to you. You're just going to have to find a way to have regular checkup kind of things because they're just way more private than other children. And it's not a, you know, it's not a fault. It's just a natural. I'm a very private person. I've always been a, a quite a private person. And, and so, I, I, you know, it's, it's just more work for me to talk openly about things. Um, anything. It doesn't have to be about sexuality than somebody who's much more gregarious and outgoing.
0: It doesn't mean you're hiding something.
1: That's right. And so, and so know your child and, and you, and so while you want them to come to you freely, if they're a child that generally doesn't talk about their emotions or feelings or or difficulties about anything, it's going to obviously be the same thing times two in the sexuality area. So I love that. you can't let the child just set the pace when, when their personality is that type.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful, because you could you could think that your kid is, you know, resistant hiding or something. yeah, or mm-hmm. hiding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and the, the last the last thing was the distorted attraction template, and we kind of covered that a little bit with the the first one. I think we talked a little bit about that with the uh, unrealistic expectations. Is there more you might want to say about that? Yeah, I, I'm
1: having a, um, a memory of a I taught a sexuality class a few years ago with a, a co-teacher. Uh, another faculty member, and so she gave this example that I've always remembered and I use regularly with people. She said she had a young man come up after one of the classes and says, I, you know, I have this relationship. I really get along really well with her, and, and it's just a great relationship, and then, but I'm, not just, I'm just not sure. You know, so normal sort of questions about is this the right relationship, and, um, and she said, well, what's the problem? And He freely admitted to his credit, well, she's flat-chested. Um, and so i am really more attracted to a woman with with more curves and, and she said to i mean this, this is a great line she says well can you can you have her come talk to me and and she and he said why and he said well i want to tell her to run <laughs> you know she was being a little facetious with him yeah. obviously yeah but the point is he somehow got it in his head that the particular uh, shape of a woman's uh, breasts were what mattered the most um and and so you know he he she, and then he said he said and so he sort of came to himself at that moment he said i really need to change don't i yeah you do you need to work on some things so how to see a person for their value and worth and 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 the relational quality you have with them and all rather than a set of body parts that are a certain shape that you like or don't like and and all that, and not that we don't want to pay attention to the things we're attracted to, but, but when we view this material where everything is artificially enhanced, or or people are selected because they're so unusual in the way they look, then we develop this attraction template that can be very destructive, and will pass up relationships that could be the best relationships for us in our lives because of a silly thing like a waist size or. Uh, you know, or particular body part.
0: Yeah, that, and what a tragedy, and and really helping your kids understand. Look, you're probably already developing that template just by living in a pornified culture. Right. You don't even realize it, and so to even give them permission to talk about it and think about it. No. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, wonderful. Um, Well, Doctor Busby, this has been uh, so enlightening. I. I want to recommend, again, the book to my listeners and to the Meridian audience here, A Better Way to Teach Kids About Sex. You can pick it up wherever books are sold. Deseret Book, I think, is the publisher, and yes. uh, you can get it on Amazon as well, and, and uh, it's just a, just a great resource. So, again, thank you for your, uh, for your time and, and your expertise. I'll put links to all this in the, in the show notes, and uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully this can be a great resource for our audience.
1: Well, thank you. It's been really great talking to you.
0: Once again, you can pick up a copy of A Better Way to Teach Kids About Sex from Deseret Book from Amazon.com or anywhere else books are sold. This is a great resource every family should have in their library. And I do want to thank Dr. Dean Busby and his team for producing such a helpful and clear resource. And thank you, Dr. Busby, for spending time with us on the Illuminate Podcast. In the next episode of the Illuminate Podcast, I'm excited to introduce you to my good friend and colleague, Forrest Benedict. Forrest isn't only an author and a much sought after speaker, but he's also in recovery from pornography and lust addiction for the past 15 years. So he's got a great insight on these issues. And Forrest has written a great book called Life After Lust. And we're going to talk about, in the next episode, specifically about self-care for people in recovery from addictions and how that can actually help them Uh, protect their brain from triggers and relapses and all kinds of really important stuff. So tune in the next time with my interview with uh, Forrest Benedict. And once again, I want to thank each and every one of you for taking time to listen to this podcast. Please share it with other people if it's helpful to them. We really want to spread the word and share light with anybody who might need it. So thank you so much and I'll see you next time.